Sometimes being a protector comes with deadly consequences. Welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and tonight I'm going to talk about the case of Shane Ragland and Trent DiGiorio. For this episode, I watched Oxygen's Dying to Belong, and I also got some information off of WLKY, station up in Kentucky. Shane Ragland came from a pretty wealthy family. His father, Jerry, had a very successful business. So Shane always looked up to his dad. He always wanted to make him happy, and he always wanted to make him proud. He was about to start his freshman year at the University of Kentucky. And for some people, they like to join fraternities and sororities. And that's pretty much what he wanted to do. He had his eyes set on SAE. He honestly believed that this was going to be his ticket to the future. This was going to line him up for success. Because of his family's financial status, he was pretty much a sure-in. He made his pledge and just waited with the rest of them to see who was going to get in. Just enjoying college life, parties, sex, and pizza. One day he was hanging out with a couple other people who were also pledging and their friend Trent DiGiorio. They were all standing around just talking and Shane pointed to a sorority calendar and said, I slept with her. Well, he didn't know that that girl was actually the girlfriend of the president of the fraternity, SAE. He was trying to look cool, and it did not work out for him. It backfired. Trent was also going to the University of Kentucky, but he was there for a football scholarship. He was actually a freshman walk-on. It was very impressive. He worked really hard. Not a lot of freshmen make it. He was known as a protector, and they thought he was like a big teddy bear. He was very kind and very strong. Every fraternity wanted him, but all he wanted to do was just play football. He played for the Kentucky Wildcats. Word got back to the president about what Shane said. He said, uh, not so fast. He just crossed his name right out. When he found out that he was never going to get into the fraternity of his dreams, he freaked out. He thought it was the guy, Matt, that is part of the fraternity. So he went up to him and was threatening him. Trent, being who he was, decided that he said, you know what? If you want to blame somebody, then blame me. Shane cared more about being in a fraternity than he did about his studies. You have no idea how obsessed this kid was. July 17th of 1994. It was Trent's 21st birthday. There was like 30 to 40 people all just hanging out, having a good time. They were a bunch of good kids, so it wasn't like they were causing harm or anything. Just as the party started to dwindle down, there was a group of people talking on the porch. It was about 2 a.m., While everyone's just sitting there in the middle of a conversation, they heard a loud bang. One of the people went to look at Trent to say, did you hear that? And as soon as he turned to look at him, he knew something was very wrong. Trent had blood coming from his ear. He was shot sitting in his chair. 
So obviously they call 911. Detectives interview everybody that's still at the party, but everyone had the same thing to say. Nobody saw anything. They just heard a bang. Everybody is still in shock because there was no problem. They let a few days go by and then they decide, let's start re-interviewing. Now that people kind of like were able to process and maybe something will stick out, something new. One of the females that was standing on the porch with them did say that a pickup truck was driving past the house and it had about four guys in it. They were just being obnoxious, trying to hit on the girls and all that, and that Trent yelled at them to get away. So they didn't know if maybe those guys came back for revenge. Nothing ever came from that. When police canvassed the area, they kind of know that they're looking for some kind of mound. You could tell from the trajectory from which the bullet came and hit him. This person had to be like sniper style. And believe it or not, they do. They find a mound. It was kitty quarter to the house. This was an assassination. He was at such an angle to where the people on the front porch, there was no way they could see him. For the next two years, the case goes cold. It wasn't until the spring of 1996, they received a call from a man. And this man was telling him what he thinks happened. And everything that he's been piecing together about the case. So they're like, let's go pay this guy a visit. When they get there, they're taken back. Because this man has paper plates splattered all over his wall with thumbtacks with things written on them. One of them was, we could have been twins. That's creepy as fuck. Another one was saying how many yards he thinks the shooter had to be. They definitely thought maybe we have our man because he is obsessed with this. But as they looked more into it, turned out that he was obsessed with the case, but not so much Trent. So that was that. After two years turned into five, in June of 99, a local TV station did a story on the unsolved case. His father was on there pleading, saying that he knows somebody, somebody knows something. Little did they know that that was going to give them the break that they needed. Police received a call from an attorney, Tom Bullock, saying he had a name for them. That name was Shane Ragland. Turns out a girl named Amy was an ex-girlfriend of Shane. Tom was one of her friends, so she went to him for legal advice. She was really scared to come forward, but after seeing his father on the news, she just felt like she had to say something. She had been keeping a dark secret for five years. Shane had confessed to her while they were still in a relationship. They were hanging out one night and drinking, and she asked him, What is the worst thing you've ever done? Well, it was that he killed Trent. And he said it was because he got kicked out of the fraternity. Police go and find the fraternity records, and they in fact do see a line through Shane. The story was true. When they go and speak with Matt, 
the guy that he stood up for, his best friend, he also told them, yes, he was threatening me and Trent took the blame. After talking with Amy, they got her to decide that she was willing to wear a wire. She was a little nervous because they haven't spoken in years. I mean, he's now 27. What am I going to bring up? Everybody's gone through so much. But they make little small talk and it it actually works. He invited her kind of quickly. Hey, you want to hang out? And she's like, no, I mean, I can't do it right now. She was no longer living in Kentucky. So a few days later, she's like, hey, you know what? I have a layover and I'll be in Kentucky in the airport. Do you want to come meet me, have some drinks? July 13th, 2000, they met up at the airport. The table was wired. The staff were really cops. They had everything in place just in case the shit went left. They didn't want her in any more harm's way. She did good, though, because she did get him to admit it. She told him, you know, like, I can't get this shit out of my head. I need to know what you're thinking. And he's like, I regret it. She's like, well, you're not going to do anything about it. And he's like, there's nothing I can do. They had him. They wait till the next day, and then they bring him in for questioning. He denied even knowing Trent. He said that he probably seen, or maybe he did talk to him, but it would have been like in passing. They weren't friends. That part's true. That might be the only true thing he says in all of this. They asked if he met up with Amy, and he also agreed to that. Okay, wait, no, so now we're two for two. But he did deny telling her that pretty much he was a killer. Well, do you own a gun? And he's like, not personally. That's when they decided to inform him that police were searching his house. We're going to find anything? He's like, nope. All right. What about your mom's house? My mom's. They found the same type of rifle under the bed in a duffel bag. Look, I did a lot of drugs. I did a lot of stupid things. I don't remember. When they tell him that they found the gun, he said, I forgot about that one, sir. He was charged with murder, and he had a $1 million bail, which his dad paid for with two $500,000 checks. Must be nice. He also got him the best counsel he could buy. At trial, prosecutors said that, you know, he was butthurt, that he didn't get into the fraternity, and that ruined his whole life. It was his fault. Now he was going to fail. They got Amy to testify, and she told the jury exactly what happened. That he only lived a few houses down, he got on his mountain bike, he had the gun in a duffel bag, he rode the back streets, went to a house, made a mound, shot him in the left ear, got back on the bike, and went home. It's exactly what happened. The defense said that there is no case. You can't match the ballistics because he tried six times. He fired and he wasn't able to match it with any of them because they were just turning into pieces after fired. Now, this next part really pissed me off because when Amy took the stand with the defense, they tore this girl apart. They got a hold of her diary and started reading things that were in it. From when she was in college, they were going to use this to try to discredit her. 
Some of this was so personal. Wow, I reached my very first orgasm by myself. It took less than five hours for the jury to come back with a guilty verdict, and he was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Of course, his attorney filed an appeal. In March of 2002, his conviction was overturned after it was discovered that an FBI investigator was not truthful during a pretrial conference. So now they got to take him back for a second time. There's going to be a big problem with that. Now that ballistics weren't able to be matched in the first trial, it's really all they had other than Amy. Well, they promised Amy, if you do this once, you'll never have to do it again. She even joined the witness protection program. She changed her whole identity. She had a whole new life. Can't make her do it twice. She already gave everything up. So they made the dreaded deal. If you plead guilty to second-degree murder, since you've already served eight years, you would get time served. He signed that bitch and he walked. Trent's family took him to civil trial, and they had pretty much all the evidence from the first trial, the tapes and all that. So that judge did find him liable for his death and awarded the family $63 million. You know, you think going to prison for eight years, thinking about the stupid shit you did, he would have gotten his life together. But he didn't. He's been caught with numerous DUIs. A few times, he was two and a half times the legal limit. In March of 2013, he was in a horrible car accident. It was on a Saturday afternoon on the Snyder Freeway. Police said that he was traveling on a freeway ramp to Interstate 64 when he lost control of his Dodge Durango and it struck a guardrail. Shane was ejected and the Durango came to rest on its roof. He wasn't wearing a seatbelt. He was taken to University Hospital and was in serious condition. That was from WLKY. But wait, there's more. (laughs) Then two decades later, he was back in court for allegations of domestic abuse against his girlfriend and her children. Christopher Allen, the father of these children, took him to court and said that, I feel like I have to protect my kids. His ex-wife had been dating him for several years. He says that the children return home with bruises and finger marks on their arms. His 14-year-old daughter had to jump out of the car to go get police while his 8-year-old son was trying to protect his mother. They went ahead and even issued an emergency protective order. This is all while he's in a wheelchair. You know, maybe instead of blaming Trent, he should have looked in the mirror. I mean, it was your own crude statements that got you in trouble in the first place. You know you didn't sleep with that girl. You were just trying to be cool. All that does is show that you're a fucking liar. Nobody likes liars. Try to look cool and you didn't. I am a little confused on why the target wouldn't have been the president. He is the one that had the final say. All right, not that I am saying anyone should die over such a stupid reason. None of this makes sense. 
What I want to know is who gave up her diary? That is very personal stuff. And that does not need to be broadcasted. Those were very personal things that had absolutely nothing to do with the case. And she was not the person on trial. That shit really pisses me off. I don't know how defense attorneys sleep at night. Yes, thank God he's got daddy's money. I want to know, what do you think about this case? You would have thought he would have turned his life around, but obviously that is not what happened. Please make sure to like, follow, and subscribe. That is what helps us move on up. Find me on Instagram. It's a good way of keeping in touch. Leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. Again, if you ever need any kind of phone numbers, make sure to go to crimeovercocktails.com. I have a page dedicated. All right, you guys, we'll talk crime another time. Bye. Bye.